ransomware, MFA, extortion, fraudulent fund transfer schemes. These topics and many others make up the key findings section of the eighth annual Data Security Incident Response Report, informally known as the DSIR Report. Each year, the incident response attorneys within the Digital Assets and Data Management Group, or DATAM, provide statistics and analytics around the incidents they encountered the previous year in a report that is eagerly received by clients, vendors, media outlets, and frankly, anyone interested in or tasked with their company's digital asset and risks. I'm Amy Kotman, and you're listening to Baker Hosts. This our 11th and final episode in the series exploring the 2022 DSIR report is all about NFTs. Our guest today is Veronica Reynolds, an associate on our emerging technology team. Welcome to the show, Veronica. Thanks, Amy. It's really nice to be here. So I'd like to start from the top. Veronica, can you tell us a little bit about NFTs and how the market has grown from 2021 into 2022? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. I'm really excited to discuss this topic with you. I've been involved in the digital asset space for some time. I got really curious about Bitcoin in 2014 and got my first few Satoshis, which are fractions of a Bitcoin. And then that put me in a position to receive the Ethereum white paper shortly after it was released. And that further spurred my curiosity and I sort of went down the rabbit hole, so to speak. So I was around in 2017 when really the first crypto NFT project launched called CryptoPunks. They were 10,000 algorithmically generated punks that had different attributes. And these were largely shared within the cryptocurrency ecosystem, people who were very active in the space. Uh, then later in 2017 into early 2018, CryptoKitties hit the scene and that became majorly popular at the time. Mass media outlets reported on it. There were so many transactions occurring with these new NFTs that it actually, at certain points, clogged the Ethereum blockchain, made it difficult to process transactions for other applications. And then we saw that hype die down a little bit in 2018 when we saw the market take a dip. And we saw NFTs come back with a vengeance during the pandemic. You know, for example, Google searches spiked significantly in 2021 as people started to become more aware of NFTs again. Uh, in 2021, it was reported up to 44 billion was spent on NFTs. So we're seeing massive growth and adoption of this asset class. We're seeing continued growth, although in Q3 of 2022, it was reported that NFT sales plunged by about 60% from the prior quarter. And so we're seeing the demand dip with the general markets as well as the dip that we've seen in the in the crypto market specifically, but brands continue to invest in this space and developers are continuing to build and innovate on NFTs. So before I get any further in, I did want to just take a moment to define what is an NFT because understanding as with all digital assets, the technological architecture and how they operate and rights that may or may not be associated with the assets are really important to understanding whether a certain law applies and certainly how that law may apply. So NFTs are provably scarce, unique digital assets that are created, stored, and transferred on a blockchain. And a blockchain is essentially an immutable decentralized ledger. And so what's really happening is 
transactions in NFTs that are occurring across the globe are being recorded to a ledger that everyone has access to view. These assets are unique, right? So they're non-fungible. That means every NFT is different than every other NFT. And that's in contrast to fungible tokens like Bitcoin and Ethereum. Bitcoin, one, NF, one Bitcoin is the same as any other Bitcoin in terms of value. That's not the case for NFTs where value is really unique to the token itself and it's generally tied to the specific content or rights or both that are associated with the nft as well as the nft's rarity and then there's other characteristics that might impact the price such as where the media of the nft is stored but typically it's essentially the actual media that's associated and then the rarity of the nft and then these are digital assets, they're tokens, right, that are cryptographically secured and stored on the blockchain. So, Veronica, you've told us what is an NFT, but can you tell us what are the different types of NFTs? I, I don't think we have time on this podcast. I mean, this could be a whole podcast episode to go into, a, you know, a, an in-depth taxonomy of NFTs. But the most popular type of NFT is referred to as a PFP. It's a profile picture NFT. And so I referenced CryptoPunks that came on the scene in around 2017. And they, along with just NFTs generally, CryptoPunks became much more popular in the 2021 era. They're an example of a profile picture NFT where you can, you know, what people are doing with these NFTs are using them as their profile photos. And it connotes a sort of social capital Either it signifies you might have been an early adopter, it signifies that you are just aware of this ecosystem and you have one of these, what we call now a blue chip NFT. We also saw Board Ape Yacht Club, uh, also referred to as BAYC. This was a project that launched in 2021 and has really become, I would say, the most popular NFT project in existence at this point in time. And one of the unique things about this project when it launched was the founders gave certain IP rights to holders of these NFTs that allowed the holders to have commercial usage rights over the media. And so we saw examples of brands and individuals use this IP in commercial ways. So there was a music artist that launched a music label based on a board ape. We saw an actual major music label launch a digital music group, apes as group members. And so we saw a lot of examples like this and what the impact of granting those rights, which was new at the time, was that it really sped up the proliferation and awareness because now these images were being used in so many ways because people were incentivized to commercialize them. There's other types. We have real estate or land NFTs. So when you buy virtual real estate in digital worlds, you're really buying an NFT. Art is, you know, I would say the second biggest or as equally as big as PFPs. We saw people emerge with incredible art during the 2021 time period as well. We've seen music NFTs as well as gaming NFTs. And as I mentioned, don't have quite enough time to go into the characteristics of all those. That's just a sampling of the different types of NFTs that are currently being widely used and adopted. Thanks, Veronica. As the market for NFTs continues to grow, what are the risks that unsuspecting consumers face with this digital asset technology and ecosystem? One of the main risks that we see is applicable to consumers in the NFT space relates to phishing scams, where bad actors promote malicious links and trick people 
into giving up credentials to their digital asset wallets or into buying fake NFTs. So for one example, bad actors took over the actual social media accounts for a very popular NFT collection and shared links to fake airdrops. And people who clicked on the links were lured into actually connecting and authorizing access to their digital wallet and then having their funds just siphoned from their account. We saw another example where fraudsters targeted another very popular NFT project by using fake websites and flooding the messaging board of the project through Discord, pretending that the project had launched and sharing these fake links so consumers would purchase what they thought was a legitimate NFT only to go back to the messaging board and ask the admins, hey, I bought this five minutes ago, 10 minutes ago, I'm just not seeing my NFT. Meanwhile, the admins are unaware that hackers came in, this is all happening very quickly, mind you, had come in and, and flooded these channels. There, there was just a lot of confusion that ensued, um, especially when these hacks were new. And realizing thereafter that, oh my goodness, you know, our message board was flooded with bad actors sharing these malicious links. Meanwhile, they hadn't even launched the project yet. And so there's been a lot of lessons learned as industry has innovated. And I think there's some best practices that projects can include when they're launching a project, things like noticing users that they'll never message them directly, noticing users that this is the only forum that will showcase links where you can buy the NFT, kind of preparing people and educating consumers in advance about what to watch out for with regard to these kinds of scams. And then I think just generally, really a major risk stems from the way that this technology is architected. So something I mentioned earlier was like self-custody of a wallet. And there's this phrase that's restated across the industry and it's not your keys, not your crypto. And with NFTs, there is a little bit of a learning curve with what we call self-custody of assets. And so I think there's a little bit of ways to go to educate people regarding how to hold their assets without using a third party platform, because that is the only way that you can really use your NFT, for example, as your profile picture, is keeping it in this unhosted, what we call a self-custodied wallet. But as a user, you have to understand that you now are responsible for the assets. So if you lose the credentials to access that wallet, you actually lose all access forever to the assets that are located in that wallet. And so that's a very different paradigm versus thinking about a third party such as a bank or even a centralized cryptocurrency exchange custodying your assets. What about risks to other ecosystem participants such as NFT marketplaces and creators? So there's a lot of risks in this area too. One of those are platform vulnerabilities and exploits, which essentially are, you know, you launch a website and it operates in a certain way and you may not know at the time, right? There might be a bug and that someone can use that in a way that allows them to benefit at the expense of others. So one recent example of when this occurred was a large global NFT platform facilitated unwittingly sales of NFTs that had been marked as inactive by the users. So savvy buyers who realized that what these NFT holders frequently did was instead of delist the assets, which cost a fee, they would transfer their blue chip NFTs to other wallets that they control. 
Now, by transferring between the NFT wallets, the holders were able to remove the public listing and avoid, as I mentioned, the fee associated with its cancellation. However, this process merely updated the listing from active to inactive. So savvy purchasers were able to actually go buy these at their prior listing, unbeknownst to people who thought that essentially they were delisting de it. So that was a bug that was addressed and fixed by the platform, but it's always something to be aware of with these, with, with tech in general. We also have money laundering and financing of illicit activities. So NFTs can also be associated with these type of activities because of the characteristics inherent in NFTs that can be used to facilitate crimes. So for example, there was uh, one terrorist organization that reportedly used NFTs, selling them to raise funds for recruiting and funding their projects. And in fact, a February 2022 report issued by the U.S. Department of Treasury discussed these types of risks, and they noted that there are several qualities inherent to high-value art that may make this market attractive to money laundering for criminals and analyzed NFTs in that bucket. So one of the things, and I'm, I'm going to read this directly from the report because I think it's informative. The report stated that, quote unquote, digital assets that are unique rather than interchangeable and that are used and practiced as collectibles rather than as payment or investment instruments are generally not considered to be, quote unquote, virtual assets under a definition that has been provided by the Financial Action Task Force, which is also referred to as FATF, and that is a global money laundering and terrorist financing watchdog. But the report goes on to say that that's one type of NFT, but NFTs used for payment or investment purposes may actually fall under the definition of virtual assets, that definition that was proliferated by FATF. And the reason that that's important is because that means that NFT marketplaces who facilitate sales of the type of NFTs that are used for payment or investment purposes may actually qualify as entities that are subject to a jurisdiction's applicable AML anti-money laundering and sanctions laws. So depending on the nature and characteristics of the NFTs offered, those platforms could potentially come under regulations promulgated by FinCEN, for example. And so this just touches on the need to understand the NFTs and the associated rights, what their purpose is, and kind of do this comprehensive analysis so you can understand the risks associated and actions you may need to take to comply with these laws. So those are just a couple examples. Can you tell us what types of enforcement actions are being taken in these cases? There's a few examples. There was this project called Frosties, for example. Frosties were ice cream themed NFTs that the founders launched alongside promises that the NFTs would provide, you know, purchasers or recipients of the NFTs future rewards and things like exclusive access to, to future mints on future tokens. But a few hours after the project launch, purchasers realized that they were victim to what we call a rug pull, where the founders took all the money, basically took down the project, and reportedly they left a tweet that I think has been since deleted <laughs> that just said, I'm sorry. So, you know, one of the notable things about this is that the project's founders had remained anonymous throughout the project, uh, which is not really that typical. But the government was able to identify them through tracing the IP address of one of the founders that was used on a social media site and then was linked to a centralized cryptocurrency account. In March 2022, the DOJ announced criminal charges that alleged conspiracy to commit wire fraud and 
conspiracy to commit money laundering, describing the scheme as a multi-million dollar NFT scheme designed to defraud purchasers. Uh, then we have this instance, this project called Slotty NFT. And so this was a project that promoted NFTs, telling purchasers that they would be provided with ownership interests in virtual world casinos and alongside opportunities to earn passive income. The scheme was really elaborate and promoted many opportunities for ongoing profits and securities regulators in Texas, Alabama, and Kentucky filed cease and desist orders against the NFT virtual world casino in a coordinated effort, accusing the founding entity of issuing thousands of NFTs that operated like stock or other equities, and this was in violation of state registration laws. One last interesting example uh, was this quote-unquote insider trading case brought by the DOJ after an NFT marketplace employee whose job involved selecting NFTs to be featured on the marketplace homepage used this knowledge that he had from his job, allegedly purchased NFTs that he knew would be listed in advance and then resold them after they were listed, sometimes for two to five times the purchase price. And he also tried to obfuscate this activity by making anonymous accounts on the marketplace website and using anonymous digital wallets. And the DOJ responded by arresting him on charges of wire fraud and money laundering, quote unquote, in connection with the scheme to commit insider trading. You know, what's notable about this is that the DOJ did not allege that the underlying NFTs were securities. So the NFT marketplace employee instead was charged with wire fraud and money laundering. The SEC did not file a parallel enforcement action, which it typically does in these types of cases, which is notable. It means that there were no allegations that the underlying NFTs were securities, at least at this time. So it really speaks to the need for platforms, even if they you know, believe they're not or they're not selling digital assets that qualify as securities, it still speaks to the import of having policies and procedures in place, which this marketplace actually did. Uh, but it just really emphasizes the need for compliance programs for marketplaces. Looking ahead, what can we expect to see with respect to NFTs in 2023 and beyond? That's a great question, Amy. I really believe we're only seeing the beginning of this asset class and its potential uses. So I think there's potential for NFTs to be used in tokenizing real-world assets. NFTs are essentially tokens that denote proof of ownership. And so there's this possibility that they can be used to denote that proof of ownership over physical goods, such as real estate or high-end consumer goods like designer purses. Arguably, I guess using real estate as an example, you could use the NFT to connote ownership of this property. You know, there's a few other steps required to get there. We're not quite there yet, but it's a potential use case that I think is very viable in the future. Another area of innovation that's related to NFTs is the continued innovation of fiat to crypto on-ramps. Typically, to buy an NFT, you have to use another type of fungible cryptocurrency like Bitcoin or Ethereum. But this creates a lot of friction in the typical user experience. A lot of people have been onboarded into the NFT community without having a lot of experience with Bitcoin or Ethereum or other fungible tokens. And so, you know, as one example, a large payments platform recently launched a product to help bridge this gap that allows marketplaces to just embed this functionality and allow purchases of NFTs with fiat. And I think over time, we'll see a lot more convergence with what we call TradFi and this emerging asset class. The last couple examples I want to bring up, I think, are 
are really interesting. The, the first is digital identity. So we're already seeing social media platforms integrate NFTs as like profile pictures. And I think we'll continue to see new innovations integrating NFTs into already existing social platforms. But in May of 2022, Ethereum founder Vitalik Buterin, along with a couple others, introduced this concept of quote unquote soulbound tokens. And it's this idea of creating non-transferable NFTs that represent social identity in a decentralized society that would operate like a digital version of your reputation. And the last uh, innovation that I want to talk about actually has been hotly debated over the last few months in the NFT community, and it's this idea of royalties. So royalties are the ability for artists to receive payment every time an NFT is sold. So not just the first time it's sold, but all secondary sales, the idea would be the original artist would get remuneration on every secondary sale and have this sort of ongoing payment structure embedded in the actual underlying technological infrastructure of the NFT. Currently, most royalty functionality is what we call off-chain. It's embedded in, in a specific platform. And so anyone who buys or sells an NFT on that platform, that technical functionality requires royalty payments to be made to the original NFT creator or you know whatever parties it's set up to pay the royalties to on an ongoing basis. But the issue is when that functionality is only embedded in the marketplace, if you sell that NFT on a separate marketplace that doesn't have that functionality integrated, the royalty payments don't continue to be paid. And so NFT creators, you know, there's a camp that have really been up in arms fighting for on-chain enforcement. And so there's been a lot of innovation around uh, smart contract functionality and the creation of standards that will allow that functionality to be integrated, quote unquote, on-chain, meaning it's it's required as part of the underlying NFT, no matter what marketplace you use. And I think that this also speaks just to, I think, continued innovation that we'll see with smart contracts and token standards on specifically Ethereum, but across the ecosystem as a whole. So I think those are a few of the use cases I think are most interesting and potentially have the most viability in the future. Thanks so much for joining us today, Veronica. Thanks, Amy. It was really nice to chat with you. I appreciate it. If you have any questions for Veronica, her contact information is in the show notes. As always, thanks for listening to Baker Hosts. Comments heard on Baker Hosts are for informational purposes and should not be construed as legal advice regarding any specific facts or circumstances. Listeners should not act upon the information provided on Baker Hosts without first consulting with a lawyer directly. The opinions expressed on Baker Hosts are those of participants appearing on the program and do not necessarily reflect those of the firm. For more information about our practices and experience, please visit bakerlaw.com.